Anyway, I just want to say something. Uh, if you'll notice, oftentimes in songs and media songs, that's a secular song, although it has a Christian overtone, as you can hear, turn the other cheek and, you know, practice what you preach. And, you know, and, and uh, last week I talked, laid the foundation for what I want to talk about today. And I really prayed about, you know, I knew with the weather and everything we were going to be a little compromised today. But I figured if you make the effort to be here, and those that are watching on our web, you know, web streaming right now, if you made the effort to be here, then I'm going to give you the full load. You know, I'm not going to just hold back. And, uh, and so bottom line is uh, last week I talked about two very important transformations that happened in our society. The first one was the Protestant Reformation from 1517 to 16, uh, different people say different things, but probably about 1642, 46, somewhere in that place. But anyway, it was a very, very powerful thing that happened. Uh, the Catholic Church had uh, really kind of sunk into a very low place at that time. Uh, people were trying to buy their way into heaven through indulgences, which were building St. Peter's Cathedral. And anyway, there was a lot of things. And Martin Luther just freaked out and nailed the 95 theses on the door. And out of that came some very important foundational things. Number one, uh, grace. You know, that we would be grace-based. We would know we're saved by grace. We're not saved through works. We don't work our way into heaven. It's the grace of God. And so that was established way back uh, in, the, in the 1500s. And then, and then we talked about other things. The priesthood of all believers. Before, there was a huge gap between the laity and the, cl and the clergy. And uh, if you wanted anything done, you had to go to the priest to get it done. How many of you know now that we see the priesthood of all believers? We recognize that every one of you have just the same power, same value uh, that anybody in, in, that's in ministry. You're in ministry, whether you're in work, whether you're, you know, whatever you're doing, whether you're teaching, whether you're in business, whether, you know, whether you're at home raising kids. I mean, you, that, that's a very, very important ministry, just as important as any form of ministry. And so we've realized those things. We realized a lot of things that came out uh, of the Protestant Reformation, and that's the foundation, because I'm going to talk about what the next great Reformation is. Then we talked about the Azusa Street Revival, which also brought Reformation. Remember, renewal, is primarily for the church where it comes alive. Uh, then revival is where it spreads out beyond the church and begins to impact the, uh, you know, the surrounding areas. But, but then the amazing thing is reformation changes the very fabric of culture and society. And so I believe we're on the brink of the greatest reformation ever. And I believe the ingredients are there, but we need to borrow the best from the Protestant Reformation. Now, there were some bad things about the Protestant Reformation. Because they wanted to distance themselves from the Catholic Church, they said that all the gifts of the Spirit and the supernatural had passed away. Because the Catholic Church believed in that, so they wanted to distance themselves, so they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit didn't get up into heaven and take all the gifts with him and, and just leave you here to your own strength and own devices? Amen? Aren't you glad that actually that uh, the, the power of God did not cease, that it continues today? And how many know we need it more today than ever before? And so we've got to adapt the good things, and, and that's what the Azusa Street Revival brought. You see, in 1906, there was an African-American group that gathered together in prayer. The power of God began to hit. I know many of you, actually, uh, many of you traveled to the Azusa Street Revival uh, celebration 110 years uh, last, last week. It was last Saturday in, in Los Angeles, and many of you told me how powerful it was. But, but what I want to say is that out of that came a reestablishment of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Protestant Reformation, Jesus got reestablished, and the grace of God, salvation through grace. And, but 
in the Azusa Street Revival, what it did was it reestablished the power of the Holy Spirit. There were so many miracles that occurred. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, people realized they hadn't passed away. And, uh, and so, again, we want to bring the best of that. Uh, now, <laughs> it's really, really important to understand that song sang, you know, where is the love? You know, when you think about what the, what's the next great reformation, well, when something is lacking, the Protestant Reformation was a very intellectual re- uh, reformation. It changed doctrinally, and, and you know, and, and it, it changed some very important things, but it didn't usher in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what was missing. In 1906, that was ushered back in, and then with the charismatic renewal in the, in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, that really ushered back to all phases, to all denominations, where the Holy Spirit was recognized as a vital force. Uh, the Holy Spirit was no longer the, you know, kind of that uncle that people thought was weird who would come to the Thanksgiving dinner and had to sit over uh, on the, at the end of the table. And the Holy Spirit, it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so very, very important incorporation of the Trinity uh, became that one God in all parts. And so the Holy Spirit became recognized. Now I want you to know as we move in to this next great reformation, it's going to be a combination of, you know, the grace. It's going to be a combination of priesthood of all believers. It's, it's going to be a combination of the power of the Holy Spirit, gifts, miracles, all those things. But the underlining or the overriding most powerful thing is, I believe it's going to be a reformation, an agape reformation. Say agape. There's a lot of different words uh, in the New Testament. There's three primarily. There's four in the Greek uh, for love. But agape was a word that really came out of Christian community. It's where people cared more about others, where they laid down their lives for others. Jesus demonstrated the agape love on the, on the cross. However, the love oftentimes has, has, has seeped away. And even in our society today, uh, you know, I, I just want to tell you, you just look around. When I grew up, Terrorism wasn't even a word. And now, you know, we have terrorism worldwide. Uh, there, it's, a, it's a different world now. And there's a lot of things. And, and the scripture says in, in Matthew 24, verse 12, it tells us very clearly, it says, uh, and this is Jesus talking about the last days. He says, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So we're told that as lawlessness just spreads, as craziness happens, you know, people tend to pull in and that love. So there's a lack of love. You know, it's interesting. Timothy talks about, I mean, I'm sorry, in Timothy, uh, uh, Paul talks about what it's going to be like in the last days. He describes often what is very much like our culture. He says, you should know this. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says this, you should know this, Timothy. And Paul's writing to Timothy, who was a spiritual son, In the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, so be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God, and they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. 
Stay away from people like that. Now, in other words, you know, uh, our society changes drastically. We're in a post-Christian society. And uh, it's so important to recognize that God understands this. And he sees what's lacking. And I want you to know you can, you can begin to understand what the next great reformation is when you see what's lacking. And I believe the greatest thing that's lacking right now in our world is love. You see, love casts out fear. I believe there's a lot of fear. Uh, I believe there's a lot of things that happen. And in 1 John 4, verse 18, it says, perfect love, his love, his agape love, it casts out fear. It drives out that fear. And I believe we're on the brink of where that love is going to break through and make such a difference. And so my question to you today uh, is, is this. How can we be part of this great outpouring of love or, uh, you know, of the, the love reformation or the agape reformation? Well, I believe we're, we're at a place right now where that love is what really is going to release everything. And although it's bottled up. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we personally need to experience and abide in his love. You know, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, when you look in the, you look in the Bible, look when the Apostle Paul, who was actually killing Christians, persecuting Christians. I mean, Paul, literally, he was a terrorist at the time. If you were a believer at the time of Jesus, after Jesus was crucified, if you were a believer at that time, you would have thought Paul, you would be terrified of Paul because he was literally persecuting and having Christians killed. Now, how many know when a terrorist meets the love of Jesus Christ, how many know their lives are dramatically changed? It's the love that changed him on the Damascus Road. I believe when Jesus met the Apostle Paul, he didn't say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I don't believe he said it that way. I believe he said it with such incredible love, just liquid love dripping from his eyes. I believe he said, Saul, Saul, why? Why do you persecute me? I believe Saul's heart was broken at that point, broken deeply. I believe he reached in. The very love of the Lord Jesus Christ began to change a man who had been a terrorist into one of the greatest Christian believers who ever walked this earth, who wrote most of the revelation knowledge we have from the New Testament, who really changed, talk about changing the world. One man, the Apostle Paul, went from being a terrorist to someone who loved deeply. You know, he experienced that love, and he writes about it. In fact, turn in your Bibles to actually Ephesians 3, verse 17. I'll let you get there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. God eats popcorn. That's the easiest way to remember that. Anyway, it says this. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now, now I want you to know something. When the Apostle Paul was writing this, he wasn't writing this kind of theological, you know, treatise. He was talking about his own personal experience. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. How could he say that? Because he knew in his own life. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, 
how long, how high, how deep his love is. Now, I want you to know that word understand doesn't mean intellectually understand. It means for you to experience, to you know. Is, is this, are we getting an echo from this? Is there something wrong with this? Huh? Oh, good. Okay, I'm just hearing a, sounds like a drum up here. <laughs> anyway, um, I want you to know something. It's, it's not understanding intellectual. The first man on the moon, I think it was, was it Jim Irwin? Who was the first man on the moon? He, I think he was from Colorado Springs. What was his name? Neil Armstrong. Thank you. It wasn't Jim Irwin. Jim Irwin's a good guy, but anyway, I met him. But anyway, Neil Armstrong said, the, lo- the, the greatest distance man's ever traveled is not from the earth to the moon. The greatest distance that man has to travel is the 18 inches from the head to the heart. I believe that's a very, very insightful statement for the first man that walked on the moon. But anyway, it goes on to say this, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And then may you experience, notice that, experience, not just know about, not just read about, not just hear about, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. I love that. You can't really fully understand it, but may you experience his love. And I believe when we begin to experience, at 28 and a half years old, I experienced it for the first time in my life. You know, I experienced his love when, when I received him after a life of just messed up, hugely messed up. And here's the deal. I felt so loved, I couldn't believe it because there was nothing to love. I was such a mess. But I knew his love. I experienced his love. And it changed my life. But that love doesn't just hit you once and then you got to live with that rest of your life. His love begins to unfold more and more as you get to walk with him, as you get to know him, as you go through struggles in your life and you experience him there for you in those struggles. Goes on to say this. It says, not only may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all fullness of life and power that comes from God. You know, it's interesting. uh, When you read about many of the miracles of Jesus, you'll read either before or after the miracles, you'll find it mentions compassion, how he had compassion, how he was moved with compassion. Uh, It's in Matthew chapter 9. It's in other places. And it says where Jesus was moved with compassion. And that literally released the miracle working power of God. I want you to know that sometimes, you know, we feel a little bit self-conscious or maybe we're afraid to pray for somebody because we think, man, they're going to think I'm weird or we worry about ourselves. But I want you to know when you're motivated by love and you have a love for for that person, you won't worry about yourself you'll reach beyond your comfort zone. You know, on Wednesday night, we have a great opportunity to reach out to people that are coming in from all over the community as we've teamed up uh, with the county. And, and we have an opportunity to reach out to people. And it's not just the free meal. It's not just the other amenities that we're going to try to help them with if they, you know, if, you know, whatever they might need. But it's personal reach, personally reaching out to them and showing God's love. That's what changes their life, much more than what they're receiving. And I know when you look back in your own life, you'll realize that that was the thing that really, really changed your life. Uh, I remember when, when I was, uh, well, l- let me go to number two, because number two is no condemnation. Say no condemnation. No condemnation or fear. Uh, 
You know, I believe as we move into this next Reformation that condemnation has to go. Now, it's easy to to move into that. It's easy to say, wow, you know, that person isn't living up to the standard that they should be. And it can be very subtle where instead of loving that person, that person has a lifestyle that I believe is really sinful, so I'm just going to reject them. I'm going to stay as far away as I can from them. That person is serving a God who I don't really feel is the right God to serve. You know, uh, I'll never forget being called on a, uh, I believe it was on, yeah, it was, I was out on the golf course on a Monday. And I got called and my personal assistant said, hey, there's a guy that really needs to meet with you. And I said, can we meet tomorrow? And turns out he was a Muslim. But he had, ex- he had experienced, he had come to church a couple of times But he had experienced the power of Jesus Christ just coming into the service, the Lord Jesus, and he he was freaked out by it. And then he experienced love from other people. Many of them knew he was a Muslim, but they didn't reject him because he was a Muslim. They reached out to him. And in my office on Tuesday morning, after I warned him, I said, you're going to pay a high price if you receive Jesus. I want to warn you about that because your family will reject you. You will go through some real struggles. But he gave his life to Jesus anyway. Why? Because he'd experienced the love and the experience. Which reminds me, um, <laughs> I told Leif we're going we're gonna to receive an offering for the, we're gonna, you know, I'm, I'm leaving at the end of May to go to Pakistan again. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I go every year uh, with Leif Hetland, who's been going for 20 years. Uh, this will be my fourth or fifth year. And we have machine gun bodyguards. It's very dangerous. We'll be ministering to the underground church. We'll also be ministering to Muslims. We've seen many Muslims come to Christ. Once again, you won't argue a Muslim into the kingdom. Two years ago, we saw 87,000 Muslims come to Christ because of the miraculous healing power of Jesus. Many miracles. They felt his love. And they have a, they have a good view of Jesus. They just believe Muhammad has a higher revelation because he came later, but they believe he's a healer. They just don't know he's the son of God. So <laughs> you don't argue that. What you do is you allow Jesus to show up. And, uh, and so we'll be doing that too. So anyway, there's buckets in the back. If you want to give anything into those, uh, I told Leif, so, uh, you know, that we're going to be receiving an offering and we're going to primarily be ministering the, un- the persecuted church. Right now, the church in Pakistan is persecuted uh, incredibly. You might, you might have saw an Easter uh, where uh, the Taliban actually targeted this park. I've walked in that park many times. It's right across from the Avari Hotel where we stay. And, uh, in, you know, and, and so anyway, long story short, uh, we're going to be really ministering to the underground church a lot on this trip because they're really going through it. That takes money. We've got to provide food. We're going to try to provide, you know, some of them have lost loved ones. They've lost housing. They've lost a lot. And uh, so anyway, uh, it's an opportunity and you can make checks out to the rock or whatever. And, you know, God's going to provide. It's going to be great. So, but, but this condemnation, I want to talk about that. You know, Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The problem is, oftentimes we're condemning toward others who may not be like we are. And, and, and I just want to say that I believe what's going to cause the greatest harvest ever, which is going to cause the greatest reformation ever, is basically, it's going to be the love of Jesus. Because that love is going to come in and it's going to transform. It's going to transform. You see, that love is going to reach out to people who have a different lifestyle. Is it a sinful lifestyle? Very possibly, yes. It's a, it's a sinful lifestyle. However, Jesus, when he dealt with sin, he always dealt with it in love. Remember the woman caught in adultery? How did he deal with her? 
He dealt with her in love. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. You know, don't, don't be stupid, but, but, but I don't condemn you. I love you. And where are your condemners? You see, it's the love that transformed her life. It's love that transformed and changes a person's life. It's not telling them how wrong they are. It's not judging them. It's not condemning them. It's loving them. I want you to know sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's very difficult. Uh, when I was living uh, on a commune in the Santa Cruz Mountains with hair down to here, imagine me with any hair, let alone long hair, uh, there was a guy that would come up, a very strong believer. He would glow with the presence of God. He would come up, and he would minister love to us. His name was Ralph, and he would minister love. And I want you to know that man affected me in such a powerful way. That man changed my life because he came up, and he didn't say, you know, you guys need to wear more clothes, and you need to bathe more, and you need to quit smoking marijuana, and you need to quit doing your LSD, and you need to quit doing this and quit doing that. Instead, he helped us. He helped us raising our organic crops, taking care of our animals, doing all the stuff we were doing. He helped us. He loved us. And he spoke a prophetic word over me and said, you're going to come to know, you're going to come to know the Lord, but you're going to go through a lot of darkness first. And wow, was he right. I ended up in prison, a whole lot of stuff, which I won't go into. But here's the thing I want you to know. It was the love of Jesus Christ. And this man showed love to me. And he opened me up to the Lord in a way that no one else could. And I want you to know something. You never know how the love you have for somebody opens them up to what they need. And that's Jesus. And you know what? This whole world needs Jesus. I mean, he is the source of love. God is love. The scripture tells us God is love. And so that song, where is the love? Well, guess what? Who's the source of that love? Yeah, God or Jesus, you know? And, 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 and so when you understand that, it breaks condemnation. Now, the third one is love must be combined with truth. Say truth. Here's the problem, though. As Christians, we usually hammer people with truth. And then we try to love them. I want you to know something. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, the truth is, until you, somebody experiences love from you, they're not going to receive anything from you. They're not going to receive correction. They're not going to receive anything from you. Now, love has to have truth. You see, truth is the backbone of love. When I love somebody, I love them in truth. Uh, there's a man who's very well known. He's on TV. Uh, his first name's John, and his last name starts with an H. I'm not going to tell you who he is, though. Anyway, uh, but he loves the Jewish people. But he loves the Jewish people so much that he actually formed a doctrine that said Jewish people don't need Jesus to be saved, that they can be saved through the Old Covenant. Now, I want you to know something. Here's the thing that's going to be really tested in this love reformation where people throw truth overboard and the lines of truth get blurred. You see, the truth is that the Apostle Paul would turn over in his grave. Of course, he's not in his grave. He's in heaven. But the Apostle Paul would freak out hearing somebody say, Jewish people, I don't want to offend you. I love you so much that you don't need Jesus to really, you don't need the Messiah to be fully, you know, to come into the kingdom. How sad. That's just not true. <laughs> Everybody needs Jesus. John 14, 6 says, no one comes to the Father except through him. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, we all need Jesus. 
whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, whether you're whatever you are, whether you're heathen, I grew up heathen, so whatever you are, how many know you need Jesus? Jesus died for our sins. If you don't need Jesus, then why would he have to die on a cross? If I can get saved through the old covenant and just through works, then why would I need him? So here's the bottom line. Love must have the backbone of truth, but it must be love first. You see, when you love somebody, then you have an opportunity to speak truth into their life. When you don't love them and you just judge them, they don't want anything to do with you. So let me tell you, in this great, this last great love reformation, which is going to be the greatest harvest ever on earth, you've got to walk in love. That doesn't mean you throw truth overboard. You walk in truth at the same time. Let me give you another, another aspect too. And, uh, you know, Ephesians 4, uh, 15 says, speak the truth, how? It says, oh, it's wrong, wrong scripture. See that you walk circumspectly. Well, anyway, that's good. That's a good scripture. <laughs> Gee, I thought for sure it was Ephesians 4, 15. Anyway, sorry about that. Guys, I gave you the wrong scripture, but uh, anyway, maybe it's 3, 3.15. Let me just look real quick. Somebody else look it up. But anyway, it, I promise you that it says, somewhere in the book of Ephesians, it says, uh, it says that we're to walk in, that we're to speak the truth in love. And uh, what is it? Oh, it is 4.15. Okay. So I didn't screw up. Okay, good. That's good. I'm glad to know that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it is 4.15. So the truth is that God wants us to speak the truth in love. See, we've got to do everything in love. Now, I've got to tell you, it's hard. When somebody comes against you and wounds you, how many of you know it's really hard to love that person? You know, Jesus said it's a lot easier to love. He, he said, you know, you can love the people that love you. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, that's easy. That's easy to love the people that love you. <laughs> but he said, even the tax collectors do that. Even the, you know, the, the, the Gentiles do that. I mean, the people that are non-believers do that. But I want you to be able to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That's hard. When somebody wounds you, when somebody does something wrong to you. I mean, I don't know about you. I grew up in the East Coast. <laughs> I grew up in the East Coast. I talk like this when I go back there. And I, you know, and, and I got to tell you, my motto was, you know, get even, then get forgiven. Amen? <clears throat> How many know that's not a good motto? <laughs> that's not Jesus' motto. <clears throat> you see, you got, we got to learn how to forgive, and we got to forgive quickly. Because I got to tell you something. You're going to get, you're going to be offended. I mean, look what they did to Jesus, and he was without sin. Now, none of you are perfect. Amen? So if they did it to him, don't expect that you're not going to get crap. <laughs> I, I can say it because you guys are strong, and you wouldn't have come out in the weather here. So, but I can say crap in church. But you're going to get crap coming at you. It is. You're going to get it. It's just life. But it's how you handle it. You can't control some of the stuff that comes toward you. Amen? Yeah, Caitlin, put your hands over your ears. You're not supposed to hear this. My, grands, my granddaughter's here. How old are you, Caitlin? You're nine now? 
Uh, you're old enough to hear crap. Anyway, okay. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, what I want to say to you is if you live on planet Earth, you are going to go through stuff. You're going to have stuff come at you, but it's how you respond to it. And if you don't have a heart of love, if you haven't experienced God's love, because you know what he said? <laughs> he said, you're going to have to forgive. He says, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's Ephesians 4.32. So if you don't have that heart of love. Let me tell you something. You're going to react in the wrong way. You're going to react in anger. You're going to do something stupid. Uh, about three years ago, I was ministering in prison. I talked to this guy. He was in for life. And he said, I lost it in a fit of anger. I killed somebody. He said, I've regretted it. I've been here for several years. I'll be here for the rest of my life. He said, I can't believe it. That one moment where I lost my temper changed my life forever for the worst. And he came to know Christ, which was good, but he said, you know what? I regret it for the rest of my life. Even though I know God's forgiven me, he said, I'll always regret that I ruined my life. Why? Because I responded in the wrong way. And I want you to know that it's so important. You're going to have to abide in his love. You're going to have to stay in his love. You're going to have to spend time just, you know, and, and really it's time in his word. It's time with him. It's time in worship. It's time with other believers. You know, we need each other and it helps us to walk in the love. Last thing, last thing is love must motivate us to corresponding, what do you think the blank is? What is it? Action. Okay. Action. Corresponding action. And, uh, you, know, you know, I really feel that if truth is the backbone of love, then the corresponding actions are the hands and the feet of love. You see, love, lots of times, you know, we think love is a feeling. Oh, I feel is love. Well, let me just tell you something. Love is much more than a feeling. I believe the greatest act of love ever in all humankind was Jesus Christ hanging on a cross in agony, dying for us and taking your sin, my sin, and the sins of the world upon himself in agony. Now think about it. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, greatest act of love, did he feel warm and fuzzy? What do you think? No. But he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. You see, love is not only a decision. Love is an action that comes out of that. It's gotta, if, if it's without action, it has no impact. If you keep that feeling inside and you never let it motivate you to action, I want you to know something. It dies at that point. Why do I go? People say, why, why do you go to Pakistan? Why do you risk your life? Why do you go and minister to people who, in many cases, don't know Christ? And, you know, we do minister to the, under, to the persecuted church, too. Why would you do that? Why would you put yourself out in harm's way where you could be killed? Uh, you know, why would you do that? Because I want you to know the love of God compels me beyond my comfort zone. I mean... I'm not believing I'm going to die. I believe I have the protection of Jesus Christ and my machine gun bodyguards. <laughs> anyway, but, but, but here's the deal. If something does happen where I lose my life trying to reach people with the love of Christ, guess what? What a way to go. What a way to go up into heaven immediately. You know? And that's what happened to the disciples. 
you know, they died giving their life to Christ. So, so it's a win-win either way, amen? Now, you're going to be praying for me, so I know I won't have to leave this earth that soon. But if I do, I don't want you to feel sorry for me because I go immediately into the presence of Jesus. And I'm there with many other martyrs who have lost their lives. So, hey, I got to tell you, it's a win-win situation, amen? I mean, you can't lose. And so I just want to tell you something that's so important. And turn with me to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3, and uh, I want to pick this up about, uh, let's see, let's pick it up, let's pick it up in verse 16. Now, the Apostle John was an amazing guy. They tried, he was the only, he was the only apostle that they couldn't kill. Now, all the other apostles were killed. Peter was crucified, but he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified right side up. I want to be crucified upside down. And he was. Peter was crucified upside down. James's head was lopped off. I mean, uh, all the apostles, but they couldn't kill John. Now, they boiled him in oil more than once. When you're boiling oil, you die. But John, they couldn't kill him. He miraculously lived. Finally, they got so frustrated, they threw John out on this little rock of an island called Patmos. And John received the book of Revelation there. (laughs) And he died in very old age. But in old age, it's said that he was carried around on a litter and he would just say these words, my little children, love one another. My little children, love one another. My little children, love one another. He was called John the Beloved. He brags in the book of John that he was the disciple that Jesus loved the most. Now, what does that tell you? (laughs) Either he was braggadocious or he knew the love of Jesus Christ so deeply, so deeply that it impacted so many other people's lives and his own. That's what I'm saying. In this great last agape reformation, you've got to walk in that love that you know. Like John said, you know, and it's not only love for God, it's love for others. And so here's what it says in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to die for them. It just means you place them in a place where you see them as valuable. And it's not all about me, me, me. It's about others where you realize the fullness of your life will never be lived until you realize that you're here to be a blessing to others. You're not here just for you, so you can be comfortable. Jesus didn't come into your life so you could live a comfortable life. He came into your life so you could make a difference in this world. Amen? Or oh me. (laughs) Goes on to say this. In that way, he says, um, I'm sorry. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us merely, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Now, You could take this in the wrong way. You could take this 
condemningly and say, ah, oh, I don't give enough. Oh, I'm not generous enough. Oh. Or you could say, you know what, God? Everything I have is yours. I don't want to cling too tightly to what I have. I want you to know I'm willing. Now, I'm willing to give when you prompt me to give. I'm willing to do whatever you want. I realize that everything I have in this world is just temporal. I'm going to leave this earth. I'm not taking it with me. I've done a whole lot of funerals. I've never seen a, a hearse come up to the front of the, you know, the, in the front of the church there with a U-Haul on the back. Amen? You see, so we're not taking any of this with us. So we can't hold too tightly to what God's given us. At the same time, don't come under condemnation. You know, I'll see homeless people alongside the road with signs, you know, uh, you know, homeless father of three, you know, three children, you know, please help. God bless you, you know, uh, whatever. And what I'll do is I'll ask the Lord am I, to help that person, you know, because I believe that every person I run into, uh, you know, not every person I'm to help, but I am to help some. So I want you to not feel condemnation, but to be led by your spirit. Let, let, let the Holy Spirit direct you. But there's people out there. There may be people you know. There may be relatives you know. There may be people who you can help. And the only thing that holds us back usually is from helping are two things, really. Number one is our own fear that we might not have enough. And I want you to know if God's your supplier, he's more than enough. He's Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> he's also called El Shaddai. That means the big-breasted one, that he has more than enough of abundance. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's, he's the God who provides. And so I want you to know that do never let fear hold you back, never thinking, well, I'll never have enough. See, he's the one that supplies. And when you, can't, when you are obedient to him to give and to bless, you're so much more blessed. That's why Jesus says more blessed to give than receive. And I'm not taking up an offering right now. I'm just telling you that you can't let that stop you. The second thing that often stops us is uh, we'll be very skeptical about somebody that's holding up a sign. And maybe a lot of some of those people are con artists, to be honest. I've run into them. But some of them are real. How do you, <coughs> excuse me, how do you know the difference? The Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for you right now. And uh, I, I just want, I want to ask God to help us all to be positioned in a place where we can love the way he loves, where we can love people the way he loves people, where we can be obedient to his spirit, where we can move in the power of God, where we can understand it's his grace that saved us and, and, and we operate in that grace toward others. We show that love and grace toward others who may be really screwing up in their lives and we show them the love that Jesus has for them.